0: I want to share with you that uh, I'm, in, I'm in a rut and a bit of a habit that when I go to any of the supermarkets or to Walmart or something like that, I usually park in the same area. And uh, and, and that's and it's developed a, like a, a, a conditioned response for me so that whenever I leave those places, I always turn the same way as I go out the door. Except when I shop with Barb. Barb always parks on the other side. And if I leave first and she's going to join me, I could be walking all around that parking lot until suddenly it comes back to me. Barb drove. Barb parked. And and we're like that. You know, the brain is an amazing thing. First of all, did you know it's 80% fat? It, so to feed your brain, eat chicken wings. Uh, more than that, it, it's it's it, it's filled with neurons and and it's developed in such a way that that uh, there's no computer that's ever been designed that can even come close to what we experience in our brain. It's superior to any machine, and yet we also know that because we're human and whatever it is, whether we're you know getting concussions or whatever, we, we understand that that gray matter is flawed. It doesn't always do what we want it to do. And yet as science continues to open up what the brain is like and and how it works, we have to be simply in awe that something so great could be so small in something as beautiful as my head. And it, it truly is a wonderful thing. However, we also know that the brain collects everything that we see smell it 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 is a collector it is like the cloud in a way of of all the data that comes into our minds and and it never leaves it's up there so the problem is not forgetting that it's up there you know in our forgetting it's not that the information or whatever you want isn't up there it's the recovery system that's flawed we just can't seem to get it out let me illustrate some things that maybe you have experienced uh, for example, there's a lot of things that we don't want to remember that we cannot forget. I've had to deal with men who have been uh, uh, you know, consumed by pornography, and those images just are not erased quickly. Uh, m- maybe there's other uh, shameful experiences or painful experiences. Those don't go away. We'd like to forget them. We use the term forgive and forget, but we understand our brain doesn't let us forget them. Uh, Sometimes we remember all the wrong things, the trivial things. Yes, some of you can still recite all 13 cuts to Abbey Road. And that's amazing. That is truly amazing. But why? You just can't let it go. We have a lot of these trivial things in our minds that that just don't get erased. Uh, But mostly... There are things that we want to remember, but cannot. Names. Anybody struggle with names? (laughs) Anybody struggle with your name early in the morning? (laughs) I do, yeah. I I, I keep teasing that I'm going to get a name tag that I'll put on where Jim is written backwards, okay, so that when I look in the mirror, that's who I am. Uh, Names are one of those things. Or real facts, you know, the the way things really happen, not the way we want them to happen. That would have saved Brian Williams' skin on NBC, or at least his job. Or where you put your keys, or what you have planned to do today. All these are worth remembering, and yet we find that they're difficult to remember at times. Now, there are a few things where the memory really works. In other words, that demand memory because these items, these things are worth remembering because they shape our lives. And if we find ourselves forgetting them, our lives do not have the same quality, the same direction in them. Uh, these things are so important that we want to, we work at, and, and, and we devote ourselves to making sure we do it. We work at these memories. And one of the things that takes memory is a grateful heart. Now, I don't know if you want a grateful heart or not. I do. And I find that it's hidden from me that it's something that I have to work at it because I'm grumpy. And I'm also very self-centered. And and so I want to take you to a great example of how to develop a grateful heart. And it's done with Moses. And and, and it's done with the, the, the people. And, and understand that the idea here is that these memories will affect the way that they live and the decisions that they make in the future. Without a grateful heart, you'll be thinking one way and deciding one way. And with a grateful heart, you'll be doing other things and in other ways. So we come to the Jews as they are ending their, their 40-year journey in the wilderness. They're there because they sinned greatly and one whole generation had to pass away before they went into the promised land. They gather near the Jordan River, and and Moses then sits down and tells them uh, the law once again. And he's teaching them with not just, this is what you need to know now. There's not a test coming up at the end of his speech. This is what you need to know for the future. Your future depends on what you will remember from what I'm saying. And it's more than the facts that he is passing on. He is telling them something that is so blatantly true that you'd think they could not forget. But they do. And Moses know they will. He knows that they will forget what he's saying. He's told to write it down so they can look back at it. There'll be uh, piles of stones in different places so they will remember. But still it is our tendency to forget. To forget what is of extreme importance. It would seem like if it's extremely important, it would be an unnecessary command. The important things you don't need to command. Do you remember when you were a teenager? You forgot, didn't you? Okay. <laughs> if you remember when you were a teenager, at least for me, every time I went on a date, I was told, this is the curfew. I knew that. I could look at my dad. Dad, you don't need to tell me. Mom, you don't need to tell me. This is the curfew. Right? My eyes would roll. But they would always tell me that. Why? If I wanted to continue to drive their car, I would be home by the curfew. Simple as that. Well, it seemed like an unnecessary command. You've said it again and again and again. Why did I forget? Just by a few minutes. A few hours. Oh, I stayed over at my friend's house that night. Why did I forget? We'll talk about that. Uh, It would seem like an unnecessary command, but he decides to give it. And if you open to Deuteronomy chapter 8, at the top of of my Bible, the the section of the whole uh, chapter says, do not forget the Lord. And I'm going to start down at verse 10. And he's talking about you're going to go into this new land. It's going to be very fertile for you. You're going to have both freedom and and you're going to gain wealth because you're going to work hard. and, and, And all these things are going to go well for you. But don't forget the Lord. So he says in verse 10, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God Failing to observe the commands, his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and you have, uh, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, uh, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourselves, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your uh, forefathers as it is today. You have to imagine Moses speaking before <laughs> what appears to be uh, approaching two million people. That That is an awesome... You now how that was done we do not know. But he was speaking to them all. And probably it was you know, given from group to group to group. But it is truly an awesome thing that happened here. These people, for a period of 40 years, had been led by God, they'd been uh, fed by God, they'd been protected by God, they'd been taught by God, and they'd even been empowered by God to defeat their enemies. And so they survived for 40 years. And in the idea here is that God is the one who did it. So in the desert, they were there 40 years out of punishment from God, but the whole lives had been centered and dependent on God as their provider. And God was leading them through Moses. So why does he tell them, do not forget the Lord your God? This is one of those times, you see, when remembering involves living because it says here, if you forget the Lord your God you will be failing to observe his commands. If you forget God, you'll think that his commands are silly. If you forget God, you will be, you will come to the conclusion that uh, you know, I, I'm free to do whatever I want. I, I will just make my own rules. And he says, don't do that. They will remember by observing God's teaching and his commands. Now, how could they possibly forget God after all that He has done for them, after all this time and, and, and these uh, decades of them being dependent on Him? And the answer is forgetting God is easy. Can I make it any simpler? Forgetting God is easy in our lives. I, I'm even going to say it's natural. I'm going to say it's it's expected. Forgetting God is universal. It comes with our human nature. Slowly but surely, we have a nature where the focus begins to drift back to ourselves unless we remember God. So he's giving these commands with a foundational uh, purpose behind them. And actually, there's many purposes. But the answer to why tell them not to forget God is, first of all, it's human nature to forget God. We forget God because things are going so well And we focus on what we have done to earn our success. Most of you have worked hard. I've known you. You've talked to me about your careers and what you've done. And you've seen rewards. Some of you studied hard in college. And you advanced to PhDs and beyond. Some of you rose the ladder of success in your business. Some of you have read every Christian book on parenting. You've got it down. Even the place where Dobson conflicts with the others, you know. You, you've done it all. And so you're, you're an expert at that. You've worked hard at being the perfect parent, or at least a, a very good one. Uh, some of you have made good risks and, and decisions on those risks, and they paid off. And so you, you say, well, can't I at least pat myself on the back a little bit? I mean, is, is it wrong to say I've done something good here. And I want to say, no, it's not wrong. Yes, you can pat yourself on the back. But the tendency is that the more you do the patting, the more you grow in forgetfulness. That's the tendency. You forget what God has done. Just like the Jews did. And and they begin to neglect uh, what God had done and, and so the result is, they develop more of a personal pride. You know, look at, look at how great I am, or how well it's turned out. Uh, we pastors have the same problem, just so you know. Uh, we put on our pants one leg at a time, just like you do. Um, but I was having a lunch decades ago with a with a pastor I really respected. And one of the things he said is, "Jim, do you get compliments for the, for being in ministry?" "Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I I always go, please, no more. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I do get compliments." And he said, "You know, there's a problem when they talk to you about how you're the best they've ever heard, how how talented you are, how smart you are, how caring you are, how 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 good looking you are." I didn't have that one in a long time. Um, <laughs> Uh, how you dress so well for what you're paid. There's a problem when this occurs. And I said, what's the problem? He says, well, if you hear it too much, you'll begin to believe it. You'll believe it. You won't listen to the criticisms anymore. Pretty soon, you'll just start believing it, and that leads to prideful neglect. One of the costs for you here in Evergreen of being so good at what you do is believing you are so good at what you do. And you had no help in being so good at what you do. You do it all. And God is in heaven just praising you for how good you are at what you do. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you were so marvelous. Oh, no, it's the other way. See? See? You're supposed to be here on earth praising him for what he does. That's called prideful neglect. And it comes from a poor memory of what God has done for you and to you and in you and through you. And so Deuteronomy 8.16 says, He gave you manna. It's like he's reminding them in the next few verses of all the things that God had done for them. He gave you manna in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you. Remember those two words. So that in the end it might go well with you. Moses now is reminding them in his speech. It's called Deuteronomy for a reason. Second giving of the law. He reminds them in the speech that without God, they would be slaves or they would be dead. But God has a bigger purpose for their lives than just keeping them alive or out of slavery. His desire is that his people would remember what God has done and therefore would remain dependent upon God. He De- you know, would say, Lord, I-, I can't do this without you. The word that we hear and a word that we don't always like is this word, He did it to humble you. He did it to humble you. I want to say this. The only relationship with God that I have found that really works is that He leads and you follow. It's the only one that I think works. He's God. You're not. He's Lord. You're a believer. You're a follower. Now, do you have the freedom to tell him what your dreams are and how you'd like to honor him with your dreams? Yeah. Uh, can you tell him how better your life would be if he would have just answered your prayers and, and do what you want? Yeah, that's called honesty. But ultimately, it gets down to he leads and you follow and you will find it does not work any other way. There is something within us that says dependence is something that we do not want for our lives. We want a, a, a sense of earned independence. So for 40 years, God provides all these things. He provides bread. Why? Because they're in the desert. There's no wheat for them to harvest. He provides water because they're in the desert. Water is hard to find. He provides meat when their own cattle cannot do not provide enough. God provides the rules for living because they're just way too selfish. And God provides the direction for their lives to go to the next place when He tells them, because if they sat and tried to get a consensus, where do we camp next? It never would have happened. They would have stayed right where they were. They had a dependence on God. And dependence is not desired by most of us. We like this sense of earned independence. But God does for us what we can never do for ourselves. And he does it to humble us and to test us. And humility is always tested. Let me take you forward now because in our culture today, the issue would be, do we really need a Savior whom we call Jesus? That's where we're tested all the time. Do we really need one? Because I'm working so hard at being good, so hard practicing the golden rule, doing all these things. I, I, I'm so well respected. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, the list of good deeds I've done uh, make the Boy Scouts envious. And without Jesus and his death on the cross, without your dependence of what he did on his cross, you would never be saved your sins would never be forgiven. There are certain areas where you have to say you're dependent. And the more you're able to say that, the better he will lead and you will follow. Now, here's what happens because our dependence is always being tested. Our humility is always being tested in in, in the way we live our lives and in in what the words we say and the the content of our prayers. It's always being tested. And here's what uh, Moses says. Uh, See, if, if you go this way of what I call spiritual dementia and you forget God, if you go this way, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. My power and the strength of my hands are what produce this wealth for me. And that's where independence ends up, spiritual dementia. We lose our ability to think correctly. So uh, when these Jews would go into the promised land, they'd settle, they'd build, they'd uh, work their farms and and tend their flocks and their vineyards, Uh, they would conclude that the reason for their success and their growing wealth is that they did it. Now, let's be honest. They worked hard. The land was fertile, but they worked hard. Several decades ago, um, Barb and I lived in the deserts of California, and I, it was my first pastorate, and I went into a church where I didn't ask the history of, of the church. Don't ever do that, Jim, or any of you if you're going to be pastors. And, and apparently the le- previous two pastors had resigned for moral failure. And I went, oh, great. I'm really looking forward to being pastor here. First of all, I don't want to be the third. But more than that, um, there's going to be some some garbage, some baggage that they're carrying around. Well, uh, we discovered that as we got to know the people. But one of those previous pastors came back to the community. And he knocked on my door and introduced himself and said, I'm starting a Bible study here. Really? I said. After what happened to you? He goes, yeah, I think that's all done away with now, and and I still have a lot of very close relationship here, so I'm starting a Bible study. And I said, and I propose you suspect that you're going to make that into a church. He goes, oh, no, 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 it won't be a Bible study. Well, he had a moral failure of lying. Um, And that's fine. You know, that wasn't the issue because I'm going to get up to this idea of spiritual dementia and and. Independence versus dependence. Uh, the Bible study goes really well. He's a wonderful man. Um, they buy land. Uh, they keep growing, mainly from the church that Barbara and I were, were, were in. Um, they keep growing. They buy land. They build a building. And, and then they have this wonderful uh, welcome to the community like we're going to have in a couple of weeks and they do a paper, a, a, a newspaper article, and it's front page because he knows the editor of this small local paper. I know him too. And, and the, uh, the headline was three words, really large. We did it. We did it. I can't forget that. I forget the name of the newspaper, I forget the date, I forget everything else in the story, but I can't forget the headline. We did it. What is he saying there? Well, he's saying, basically, this is a natural consequence of forgetting God. Yes, it's okay. I I understand but in the secular world what that's like. But to say that we did it, and it appears that God wasn't even involved in the process. God was involved in the process, but they didn't give him credit. They were suffering from spiritual dementia. And and whenever we get into that phase where we begin to say, I did it, we're suffering from the same thing, friends. Hard work. Dedication, problem-solving, you know, we say this, these are the things that got us there, yes. But giving ourselves all the credit is a natural consequence when we begin to forget God. So he says this at the end of this passage. Moses again telling his people, this is prophetic because he knew exactly what was going to happen uh, through, through God's prompting. But remember the Lord your God, right where he started that passage. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. So in the last verse, he tells them, and he tells us today, what must we remember? What dare we never forget? It is God who gives us the the ability to produce wealth. It is God who blesses our labors with success. Now that is a Christian worldview. We see God behind our efforts. We see God blessing us. You live in a world where not everybody is going to agree with you. In fact, the majority may not. You will hear people say, boy, did I get lucky. The timing and everything else, it couldn't have worked out any better. Or we'll go with others, and we'll hear them say, "I worked my tail off to be able to get this. I've earned it." And yet, I've known some very poor, hardworking people who didn't get it. And lately, I've been hearing this: "You didn't build that company; the government did." Okay, and that's this that's a humanistic worldview, and I I understand it. I I giggle when I hear it, uh, and and you know I I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, lose it over that type of thinking. But we share a worldview, the Judeo-Christian one, where we say God is behind his people and he's working in them and through them and to them and, and all around them and we have to give him credit. So he's telling us, well, what should we be like? We should be like grateful receivers. The attitude that we must remember is that we are grateful receivers and God is a generous giver. We are receivers, God's the giver. We are the receivers, grateful. Not just it's about time, but grateful receivers. And God is a very generous giver. Remember that, because if you do not, you are fooling yourselves and sliding into spiritual dementia. One of my most precious memories... Occurred uh, 1973, and, and that shows you that if I can remember anything in 1973, it's really important. Uh, I'm, I'm, in fact, it's, it's a near miracle. I'm with a large group of high schoolers, and I'm the high school pastor, and, um, and we're reading Deuteronomy together. That's why I love this book, and, um, and we're memorizing it. Now, what makes it a miracle? High schoolers reading Deuteronomy right? Because I know most of you don't either. It's a hard book. It's very difficult to wade through. And as you go through it, say, haven't I heard this before? Yes, you have. So we're reading through it and we decide that um, what we want is to, to find at least one verse in that book that sort of capsulizes and capsulizes what it's teaching. And One of the things is we didn't want to forget God. So they take Deuteronomy chapter four verse nine, and we do it in the Living Bible. And the Living Bible makes memory harder. Okay, it's just not easier; it's harder. So there I am. You need to know, memorizing scripture has always been a weakness of mine. Reading scripture, no problem. Getting the big ideas out of it, uh, finding an outline from it, doing—I can do that. Memorizing it, hard. But we worked at each other. We 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 cajoled each other, we teased each other, we kept each other accountable. And out of that came this verse, but watch out. Oh, to help me memorize, they made me a drama king. Not a queen, a king. In other words, Jim, go out of the box, do something you don't usually do. Don't be your reserved self. Go out of the box and work in drama so that you'll remember this verse. But watch out. So I sort of was like a parent here. But watch out. Be very careful never to forget what you've seen God doing for you. May his miracles have a deep and permanent effect on your lives. Tell your children, which is the way we do it, and your grandchildren about the wonderful miracles he did. I missed one word at least, okay? But I did pretty good about the glorious miracles he did. I worked on that all week. So it shows you about memory, okay? So that's one of my greatest memories. And and why? Well, it's one of my greatest memories because it points out why we remember. One of the reasons we remember is not just for us to affect our lives, but for the next generation. That there's stories here that, yes, your children's eyes may roll because they've heard this again and again, but there's stories here that point to God's faithfulness to you because when the when the people moved across the Jordan, went into the new land, uh, they understood that, that the next generation would not remember how God provided. So they wanted to do this, that these glorious miracles of God, and could keep telling them and telling them and telling them. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for us to remember what God did. But they did not. So this was done for them so that the next generation would not suffer from spiritual dementia. Now they would have their own experiences with God, their own times in which God would show up and do great things, but they needed also the encouragement of the previous generation. It was to have a deep and permanent effect for us and for those that they loved, and those that we love. What you are telling people uh, is important because you know it, it will it, it will at least get up there. It will have been absorbed, and maybe sometime it'll come out. Um, as an example, what am I telling people about this facility? Well, there's many things that I can tell them about God being in this project. And, and 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 I've rehearsed some of these with you and I hope you'll remember them and they'll be in the brochure that we give out. But, but there's something else that you need to know. You see, I would love to tell the stories where I'm the hero. But really, I was one of the detractors of this happening. Now, the elders are going, that's right. Um, but w- what happened is, if you were here in 2008, and most of you were not, We made a decision to put an addition behind here. We'd bump this out and make that the front of the church. People would come in from the side and we'd be facing that way. And it was illegal, but we were going to try it anyway. Um, And and we had voted on it, 85% vote. You move ahead. And then one of the elders says, let's try to buy that property one more time. Here I am with my arms wrapped around what we're doing here. It costs less. It will happen quickly. Um, It will be far less stress. And so my arms are wrapped around this addition. Well, it turns out that that land does become available and I will always remember how I got unwrapped. 30 of us look at the whole property. We're asked to, to walk down in prayer asking this question, should we buy this property? We sit on logs and the question is asked, should we buy it? And 29 say yes. So after 29 say yes, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. I was among the slowest to agree to this. Then, you know, then once God got me in line, Things have fallen together much quicker. We say, well, we got to pay for it. We raise nearly the total amount in less than an hour um, in, in pledges. Uh, we buy the property and we begin all over again. Now, there's stories I can tell you where I'm the hero. But if you hear too many of those, you'll really think I'm the hero. You'll tell me I'm the hero. And pretty soon, I'll start believing it but I'm just another guy. And what you need to be aware of is that God is often moving his people in certain ways where some are a little later to catch up, but but they all come together. And what would you tell them? I I would say uh, until October 24, 2010, I was among the most reticent to make the change until we found out that we could pay for it, not just buy it, but pay for it. And the the answer was unanimous. And it was all pledged at one time. And that's part of my story. You see, it helps me not forget God. What will you say? And that's your assignment for this week. Your help wanted assignment. In two paragraphs or less, tell how God allowed you to contribute. I'm not talking just financially financially. But tell how God moved you to be involved, to contribute or be involved in this new facility. I am hoping, and I have no idea what will happen when that time comes, but I'm hoping that many people will come to the Open House and Inaugural Worship Service. And many people, over a period of time, will check us out. A new building is like a raise in salary. The effect lasts about two weeks. About two weeks, and then, oh, it's been there, done that. But the story of what God has done, your story that you can share with visitors, could last forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, how easy it is to forget because we work so hard. How easy it is not to depend on Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life because we try so hard to be good. We try to keep everybody happy. We try to offend nobody. We become politically correct in all of our language. Walking on eggshells so that nothing breaks. Being as light-footed and as jovial in our speech without ever any anything solid coming out. Those are signs of forgetting God, of forgetting you. Almighty God, first of all, first and foremost, thanks for Jesus Christ, sending him to us so that we would have a Savior. But thanks also for these wonderful brains And the way you lead us in life. Lord, thank you. And may we always be developing that grateful heart. And avoiding the dementia that comes. When we begin to forget you. Who you are. What you've done and what you're doing. And how what you're doing is affecting us. We want to be able to say that to anybody, whether they ask or not. Especially in our families. To talk about the glorious miracles you did. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.